Welcome to the Turkey Hunter Podcast with me, your host, Andy Galliano. In this podcast, I share with turkey hunters just like you how to have more turkeys on your hunting property and how to have more successful turkey hunts. I teach you how to do this with tips and interviews with turkey hunting pros, wildlife management tips, and entertaining turkey hunting stories. Tune in weekly as I share proven and simple strategies to help you have more success this turkey season. Make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe to receive free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, and product reviews. Also, please visit and like my Facebook fan page. Go to Facebook and search I Am Turkey Hunting. And also feel free to post your turkey hunting photos from this past season and let us know where and when you killed your bird. For all of you Twitter users out there, please follow me on Twitter where my handle is at turkeyhitman, and I will be sure to follow you back. And now, for this week's show. Hello, and welcome back to this week's episode of the Turkey Hunter Podcast. You are listening to episode 125, Dissecting a Box Call with Bob Fulcher. And I am your host, and the guy who yesterday morning went on the most freezing cold turkey hunt that he has been on in four or five years. There are only a couple of them that I can think of that were more cold than yesterday. I recall a hunt in Montana where it was raining and about 32 and a half degrees and the wind was blowing about 15 miles an hour and it was cold. It was very cold. I also recall a hunt in Nebraska, where one morning it was snowing sideways, and it was cold. It was very cold. And now that I think about it, there was turkey action on each of those two hunts that I was telling you about, the one in Montana and the one in Nebraska. And yesterday morning, there was a little bit of turkey action, but no shots fired, because the first thing that I did yesterday morning was bump the gobbler off the roost. This time of year, you got to get in there tight with them. And I may have gotten a little bit too tight. But I am fired up. If I sound a little bit tired, it's because I'm a little bit tired. (laughs) And I guess the good news is that we're 46 days, 1 hour, 36 minutes, and 44 seconds away from the end of spring turkey season in Alabama. And I am coming to you guys from location this week. I am at my hunting camp in southwest Alabama, so if it's a little more echoey or anything like that, that is most likely the cause. So I've got an awesome show for you guys today, and I'm going to be quick to get you to it, but I do have a very important announcement for you guys. You know, I've been hosting and producing this podcast for almost three years now. We're a couple of weeks shy of three years, and I've been having a blast doing it. The show has grown tremendously over that period of time, and I have you guys to thank for that. I am very proud and honored that all of you spend an hour or so per week listening to me talk turkey. That hour or so that you guys spend with me each week takes me about eight hours per week to produce and post. And that's if I don't have any technical difficulties that week. 
But that's eight hours that I don't get to spend with my family or working my job or chasing turkeys or fishing each week. The time spent producing a weekly show cost me lost income and opportunities. And I've struggled over the past couple of years with ways to offset the cost and lost opportunities that I have. And, you know, the most common way of doing this is for me to sell sponsorships or ads like most of the other popular podcasts do out there. Well, I've got an issue with selling ads to companies for a podcast. And my issue is this. I strive to bring you guys the best content that I can every week. And in doing so, that means that I want to bring you the best guests that I can every week. And I think that I've proven that. I think my track record kind of says that I'm going to bring you some big names and some very experienced hunters as well. But if I sell ads, I think that I am limiting my list of potential guests for this show because let's say that I sell an ad or sponsorship to Primos. They make good products. I don't have any issue with any of Primos products. I would have no issue in selling an ad to them to advertise their products to you guys every week. I would have no issue if you guys bought their products that I advertised every week. But my issue there would be how can I bring you other guests that have products or companies that sell products that are very similar to what Primos offers. I'm going to have a difficult time doing that. And so that's one of my issues in selling ads. Another one of my issues in selling ads is that let's say I bring in XYZ company as an advertiser and they come out with a product that is supposed to sound like a clap of thunder and that product is supposed to be the greatest locator call ever made except that that product that they bring out that's supposed to sound like a clap of thunder actually sounds like a goose who had too much mexican food last night and it doesn't work not only does it not locate gobblers but it can't locate a tweety bird how in good conscience can I promote a product like that to you guys? Or how in good conscience could I promote XYZ company to you guys? So at that point, I've got to terminate my relationship with XYZ company. And if I have to terminate my relationship with XYZ company, that means that I've got to find another company to replace them. Another issue that I have with selling ads to a company is this. Measuring the results of an ad from a podcast is tough and much less than perfect for those companies. So this means a constant cycle of advertisers and sponsors, which means more time and effort on my part to bring in new sponsors and new advertisers. And quite frankly, I would rather spend that time bringing you more awesome and helpful content. So because of this, I'm making a change to the format of the Turkey Hunter podcast. Beginning next week, I'm going to be bringing you guys a free, abbreviated episode of the Turkey Hunter podcast each and every week, just like I have been, except this abbreviated episode is going to be between 15 and 30 minutes long. That is going to continue to be free content 
no subscription, no cost, no ads. In addition to that free episode, I'm going to be bringing you the full episode of the Turkey Hunter podcast. That full episode will be the normal 30 minute to one hour long episode, just like you guys get every single week. The premium subscription, at least for now, will be hosted on Podbean, which you guys can download from iTunes or Google Play for free. And the cost of the premium subscription will be $12 per year, which I feel like is very affordable. That's about the cost of one movie ticket or two Starbucks coffees, of which, by the way, neither of those purchases will go to people who support the sport of hunting or, more specifically, turkey hunting. For each subscription to the Turkey Hunter podcast that I sell, I'm going to donate $1 to the NWTF. So for $12 a year or a dollar per month, you can continue to hear the complete full Turkey Hunter podcast episode each week for 52 weeks and support the NWTF and the birds that we all love to chase each fall and spring. And by offering a free episode and a premium episode of the Turkey Hunter podcast each week, I feel like this is a win-win. I can still bring you guys who don't want to pay for a subscription some great content each week. And I can help offset some of the time spent and lost opportunities of producing a weekly show for myself in the process. And for you guys who do purchase a subscription to the premium episode, the premium content of the Turkey Hunter podcast, you're going to get a little bit more content than the people who opt to not purchase a premium subscription and just listen to the free episode each week. I have studied on this for a long, long time, and I feel like this is the best option that I've come up with. But I would love to hear from you guys. I would love to hear the good, the bad, and the ugly. So email me, andy at iamturkeyhunting.com, and let me know your thoughts. And in next week's show, I'll have all of the details on how you can subscribe to the premium edition of the Turkey Hunter podcast. So be sure to tune in next week for that. Okay, so with all that being said, I want to jump into today's show. This week, I have Bob Fulcher with Shade Tree Callers on the show to talk about box calls. I have done this type of show before in the past with diaphragm calls and pot and peg calls, and those episodes have been extremely popular and very well received by you guys. And I've been wanting to do a show on dissecting box calls for quite some time. And I've had several of you guys recommend this show topic to me as well. So I got on NWTF website and I found a list of the Callmaker Contest winners from the NWTF convention this year. And I started doing my research. The winners of these Callmaker Contests are some very talented people. And the calls they make look and sound amazing. Personally... Just my personal preference. I admire the craftsmanship that goes into each and every one of the handcrafted calls made, but I really appreciate those calls that are made to call and kill turkeys. The ones that are made to put up on a shelf and look at, they're awfully nice. But I like those calls that are made to pull out of your vest and call in that long beard. And I really appreciate the guys who can do that with calls that don't cost an arm and a leg. And now keep in mind, that's all relative. So I did find a guy who makes incredible sounding, incredible looking hunting box calls who does not charge an arm and a leg for them. And 
So do you remember that whole spill about me not being bound by a sponsor to push their products, thereby limiting your exposure to great products and people for the sake of the almighty advertising dollar? Well, to prove that point, I've got Bob Fulcher today, and he is going to talk to us about box calls, and he is sharing his knowledge about what makes a good box call and how we can identify a great sounding box call even before we play it. So, without further ado, here is Bob Fulcher dissecting a box call for us. Listen closely, and I will see you guys on the other side. Hey, everybody. I am glad to tell you that I have on the line with me today Bob Fulcher, and he is with Shade Tree Callers. Actually, he's the man at Shade Tree Callers, and I've gotten him on the phone to cover a topic that I want to know a lot about, and I'm sure that you guys do because it's actually a show topic that several of you have suggested. So I'm excited about bringing this interview to you with Bob because we are going to be dissecting box calls today. And I've got a ton of questions lined up for Bob. So we're actually going to jump in and roll with this because, well, I'm sure Bob would probably want to make some calls today so that he can sell some instead of staying on the phone with me all day long. But Bob, how are you and where are you? Good morning, Andy. I'm doing well, thank you. You. I am in Greene County, Ohio. Okay. Where where about is Greene County? Well, we're about uh, 25 minutes from Dayton, Ohio, which is the largest city near us. Okay. And uh, Montgomery County, which is home to Wright Pat Air Force Base. Oh, uh, yeah. Okay. And you so told we're kind me. kind of uh, west central okay. Ohio. Okay. And you told me that the Air Force Base is where they keep all the aliens hidden. That's where the aliens from Area 51 are at, supposedly. All right. Well, I've never got my personal pass to visit them, so I can't tell you from personal experience, but that's the story. And so when you've been out there hunting, you haven't run into any of them during that time? Well, I think they've got them rounded up pretty well by now. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Fair enough. So tell us how you got into turkey hunting and turkey call making as well. Well, actually, it goes all the way back to when I was about four years old. My grandfather lived in West Virginia, Greenbrier County, West Virginia. Albert Fulcher, he used to make uh, handcrafted muzzle-loading rifles. Oh, cool. And he dabbled around a little bit with building some box calls. So when my brother was five years old, he gave my brother a box call that he had built. And that, believe it or not, instilled a passion in me for turkey calls that uh, is the reason that I build them today. Very cool. That's a... Of course, I was really fortunate. I started hunting turkeys when I was a very young age and was exposed to them early. So that passion for hunting the wild turkey was also something that goes way back to when I was a young boy. Yeah. And did your dad hunt at that time? And that's who kind of taught you to the ropes in the woods? Actually, my dad was never a hunter. Okay. My grandfather was. I was actually exposed to hunting through my uncle, Richard Schaefer. Okay. And he started the fire in me and then quickly lost interest in hunting himself, but I stayed with it. And to this day, I, you know, that's what I, I wake up in the morning thinking about hunting turkeys or deer and go to sleep at night thinking the same thing. Oh, yeah. I can definitely relate to that. Do you have any of your grandfather's guns that he made? Yep. Fortunately, I have four of his uh, rifles and two pistols that he made. How cool. That's awesome. I'm very, very fortunate to have got him. 
he made quite a few. My grandfather, Albert Fulcher, was actually credited with the re- before the rebirth of black powder shooting in West Virginia. Yeah. So he was, he was very instrumental down there in getting that sport back and getting the interest to it and having rendezvous yeah. and so forth. Unfortunately, I do not have any of his turkey calls that he built. Oh, uh, yeah. That That is unfortunate for sure. That would be very cool to have that. And, and your brother doesn't have the call that he gave him years ago either? No. You know, when you give a kid, a five-year-old kid a toy, it's... <laughs> It's just that it's a toy, and we we don't for the life of us know where it even ended up. Yeah, yeah. Well, at least you've got some guns to remember him by, and that's awesome. That is so cool. That's right. Yeah. Well, good deal. Well, I've been doing a segment on the show that I call the Rapid Fire Q&A. And with the Rapid Fire Q&A, what I do is I put a stopwatch to you as I run through and ask you 30 questions just about turkeys and turkey hunting, really more your preferences about some things when it comes to turkey hunting, and just see how your time compares with some of the people who have done this in the past. And so it's a good way for people to get to know you pretty quickly. And well, it adds a little bit of competition to the show as well. So are you willing to play along and run through these questions with me? Shoot them to me, Andy. All right. I like that. So while I'm getting the stopwatch ready, I'm going to tell you that you will either finish first or second because I have just changed the lineup of the questions. And when I did that, I feel like, you know, it's probably not real fair to put your time up against the time of people who answered different questions. So I started it over with Ernie Calandrelli and you will either be the record holder in the rapid fire Q&A for a period of time or you'll be in second place in the rapid fire Q&A. And there are not a lot of people who can say that. So I don't know if that's going well, to be good on your resume or not, but you yeah, I'll take know. it as long as it lasts. It may only last till your next rapid fire interview, but yeah, I'm, I'll take it while I can. All right. All right. I like that. <laughs> okay. So the time to beat is two minutes and 49.34 seconds. I'm going to start the stopwatch as soon as I start the first questions and our first question and we will rip through these as quick as we can. By the way, pass is an acceptable answer, but if you pass on me too many times, I'm going to have to call you out. (laughs) (laughs) All right. How many turkeys did you kill last year? Five. Diaphragm, box, pot and peg, push, pull, tube, or wing bone calls? I'm going to say pot and peg. Wild turkey, grilled, baked, or fried? Oh, fried. Wild turkey, on the rocks, neat, with cola, or with water? Uh, Wild turkey, American honey, on the rocks. All right. Ever killed a bearded hen? Three. Have you ever killed a Jake? Three. Ten-minute successful hunt on a two-year-old bird or a four-hour-long hunt with a clean miss on a four-year-old? Oh, I'll take that two-year-old all day. Favorite camo pattern? Real tree. Wild turkey legs for dinner or for the dog? For the dog. The state you killed your first turkey in? Ohio. The state you killed your last turkey in? Ohio. Sit in a blind for four hours and squeeze the trigger or run and gun for one hour and not shoot? I'll take that four-hour sit if it's successful. Two and three-quarter inch, three-inch, or three-and-a-half-inch shells? Uh, Three-inch. Four, five, six, or blended shot? Fives. Fields turkeys or woods turkeys? Woods turkeys. Pump or automatic? Automatic. Shotgun scope, rifle sight, holographic sight, or beads? Holographic. Rubber boots, leather boots, or snake boots? Rubber boots. Most turkeys you've ever killed in a season? Eleven. Least number of turkeys you've ever killed in a season? Two. Out of the states that you've hunted, which state has the most uncooperative turkeys? Ohio. If you only knew how to imitate one turkey sound to call turkeys, what would it be? Yelp. Best turkey hunter you know? Eddie Salter. Favorite turkey hunting book? 
uh, wild turkey hunting strategies, Ray Eye. Who taught you how to turkey hunt? Self-taught. Think of the toughest turkey you ever hunted. Did you ever kill him? No. Do you prefer long, sharp spurs or long, thick beards? Long, sharp spurs. Biggest mistake new turkey hunters make? Calling too much. How long does turkey season? All right. How long does turkey season last in heaven and what is the bag limit? It lasts all year long and there is no bag limit. All right. Three minutes and 10.94 seconds. Now, I may have to go back and count because I might have asked you more than 30 questions. Uh, and if I did, it wasn't intentional. I've got marks besides some questions. I have a list of 49 questions total. So I've got marks besides some of them, and then I've got some of the questions circled. So I think that I asked you some of the questions with marks beside them and some of them with circles beside them. So anyway, we'll, we're will we going to go with 3 minutes and 10.94 seconds, and that's either 30 questions or more than 30, and we got some great info from you, and that's really the whole purpose of it all. So I appreciate you playing along with that. That was fun. Oh, yeah. Good deal. All right. So let's get into the down and dirty here and talk about some box calls. And I think that probably everyone listening to the show knows what a box call is, but what really makes a box call a box call? And why do you think that everyone should have one or maybe eight of them in their turkey vest? Uh, well, box call, you know, typically you're talking about a, a wooden box with a hinged lid held on by a screw that it pivots on. And there's basically three types of box calls. You've got your long box, you've got a short box, and then you've got a short box one-sider also. Mm-hmm. I always carry a long box with me because they're the most versatile long or, or box call that there is. A uh, long box can do everything from a beautiful kiki and all the way down to a really nice hearty gobble. Short boxes have a more realistic yelp, but you can't get a kiki out of them, uh, so they're a little more limited. Mm-hmm. And then a one-sider short box has only one side that you can play, and they're typically designed for uh, callers that aren't real adept at, at running a two-sided call. They're based off the Lynch design, which, is, which was called a foolproof turkey call because anybody could run it, basically. Right. So they're they're a little limited on the sound that you get out of them, but yet they are still a, a really good sounding turkey call. Okay. So you think the the one-sided box calls are easier to run than the two-sided box calls. What? Why is that so? Why do you think they're so much easier? Well, they're made to just draw. You just open the lid and draw it closed, and it has a stop that you draw the lid all the way to the stop, so it, it limits how far the paddle can travel, and it, therefore it, it ends at just the right spot. So you just open and close the box, bring it to the stop each time, and it you know just makes beautiful, foolproof yelp. Yeah, okay. So a two-sided call, you know, typically you can you run the right side or the left side and depending on if you're right-handed or left-handed uh depends on how you run that call and it really gives you you have a lot of variation in how you can hold it how you can manipulate the paddle and uh with the one-sider you don't have that you just simply open it and close it and you get a basically a nice beautiful yelp okay would you recommend the one-sided calls for a beginner turkey hunter over the two-sided because of that reason yeah if absolutely. If somebody was just getting into turkey calling and they wanted to use a box call, which I highly recommend box calls, they have such an earthy, natural tone to them that it really sounds like a turkey in the woods. And uh, the one-sider is just absolutely easy. You'll pick it up and within five minutes, you're running Yelp, good enough to kill turkeys. Okay. All right. Very good. Well, knowing that there are several different types of, of boxes, that makes the choice of what to use difficult in and of itself. But then when you're looking at those different types of boxes, 
there are other things that come into play with the box, and I want to cover some of that, but one of those being the type of wood. And so can you go into detail about some of the different types of woods that work well together? And I guess really my first question should be, Do the does the wood on a box call have to be the same type of wood? So does it need to be cedar sides and bottom with a cedar lid, or can we mix and match the woods on a call? Well, honestly, the, the wood combination is very critical on the sound you get out of the call. Typically, you're going to find most box calls are going to have a softer wood for the body and a harder wood for the lid. Okay. Um, and the reason being is that they create friction with each other, where if you used, um, say if you used a cedar lid and a cedar body, it's really hard to create friction from those two woods together. But if you put, say, a walnut lid over that cedar body, now you've got a lot more friction in there. You've got a harder wood on top of it, and it makes the call run easier, and you get a lot more sound out of it. So the, the wood combination is very critical. I prefer to use butternut for most of my calls. If I only had one wood that I could ever use to build the bodies of my turkey calls from, it would be butternut. It's got such an, an earthy tone. It'll create a really nice high-pitched front end in a call. Mm-hmm. So you can get a nice key in the front. And then on the back end, you can still get a really nice gobbler yelp or, or, or even a gobble out of it. So butternut is my absolute favorite wood for a body. And I, I prefer to use the exotic woods for lids uh, because the density of the some of the exotics is so much heavier that it, it just creates more friction. And the weight of the lid allows the call to work itself a little easier. You don't have to manipulate the paddle as much to give it the pressure to run. Okay. So then typically what we would be looking for in a box call would be one with a little bit of a softer wood on the bottom and one with a more dense wood or harder wood for the lid. Is that correct? Yeah. A lot of uh, the best box calls, in my opinion, have bodies made out of butternut, yellow poplar, black limba from Africa is a really good very similar to butternut in the way it works. A lot of good calls are made out of red cedar. Mm-hmm. Um, black walnut is a very good uh, wood for calls. And it makes it, it makes an equally good body as well as it does a lid. And okay. of all the woods, that, if there was one wood that I would say you could use the, the lid and the body, the same wood type, it would be black walnut. Um, okay. Walnut and walnut is a great combination. When mm-hmm. I was younger, I used to try to find, uh, I was searching for that, that secret combination that nobody's ever used before and that everybody's going to want to buy. And uh, a great call maker named Lamar Williams told me that save yourself a lot of frustration if you just pick about four good combos that you know work every time and you can always put a ton of turkey in them and just stick with building those combos and doing them really good. So because of that, I now limit you know, I don't get out and try to make a lot of different combos. I'll stick with butternut with bloodwood or purple heart, poplar with walnut, black limbo with bloodwood on it. You know, there's, there's a few combos that I know I can make work every time and get the, the most out of each call. So yeah. rather than beat my head to death, I've stuck with those combos. Yeah. How much does the the grooves in the sides, uh, on the outside of the side of the call and the base of the bottom, how much does that affect the sound in a call? Well, I'll start with the bass. You know, the bass was, uh, that was a concept came up with by M.L. Lentz back in the 30s. And it basically gives you a place to hold the call. Mm -hmm. So you're keeping your hands off the soundboards, but it also gives it a solid foundation. So the more wood you have in the bottom of that call, it provides a more solid foundation and gives you a stronger sound out of the body. So the bass is very important in that. The checkering on the sides, that's a concept that was invented by Neil Cost uh, back in about 1978, I believe. 
smooth and it gives it gives a box call a very unique raspy sound that you can only get by doing that checkering on the sides and Neil Cost had several different versions of his checkering 10 check 20 check 30 check and then an old hen check which was just a five check design each one has its own unique sound actually so yes the the grooves or the checkering in the sides of a call they lighten the wood up in the sides and allow the sides to vibrate more so they they definitely make a huge difference in the sound okay very cool how you talked about the the density of the wood and that you want a, a more dense or a heavier wood for the lid and a call how does the density of the wood affect the sound of, the, of a call well We'll start with the body of the call. If the body of the call is made out of a dense wood, it'll just be really high-pitched and very squeaky. You'll never get a nice, raspy sound. You can't get a good breakover out of it. So you always want to use a softer body or wood for the body of it. And so a low, lower-density wood for the bodies. The high-density woods, the, the harder stuff, the exotics, I use for the paddles, the lids on them, because it, for one thing, it has added weight that allows the call, the lid, to work just by dragging it across. You don't have to any downward pressure, the weight of the lid's enough pressure to make the call sound. Okay. And uh, and the exotic woods, the call I won call maker of the year with this year at the Grand Nationals was butternut body with snake wood lid. Snake wood's a wood from South America. It's very hard, very dense, and it, it just has a lot of friction in it. I actually usually run the snake wood calls. I don't even have to put chalk on the underside of the lid. They just have that much natural friction to them. Wow. Okay. The denser, harder woods, bloodwood and purple heart are two other varieties that I use a lot because they're heavy, dense woods, and the, the grain in them just provides a natural friction that makes them run really well. Okay. Well, that's that's interesting. You know, I never thought about those more dense woods on the lid adding that weight to where that call would, would just about run on its own, but that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I usually teach people when I show them how to run my long box, I just open the lid up and then I just use my finger to just basically push it closed. I don't apply any down. Downward, downward pressure, just let the weight of the lid do it. But if you use a, a lighter wood, like a soft maple, you can still get a beautiful sound out of it. But now you've got to call it, you've got to use a little bit more pressure. You've got to manipulate the paddle. It takes a little bit more uh, expertise with the call to get the, the same sounds. Yeah, and that, that's basically what I was, at least in my head, where I was going with that when I when you were talking about it. So the that would seem to leave a lot more margin of error because you can twist that lid. I'm, I'm going to say left or right, but it's really upper down so that the left side of the lid is farther down than the right side of the lid. And, you know, that would affect your sound. The more pressure you have to put on that lid, the more margin of error you have. So that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, you take some of the you make it a little more user-friendly when you have enough weight of the lid to help you run it. Yeah, very cool. All right, so talk to me a little bit about the thickness of the walls. And you talked about the bottom of the call, you know, and just how having those, uh, I'm going to call it a handle on the base, and it's not really a handle, so you, you correct me there. But how does the thickness of the bottom of that call and the sides of the call affect the call as well? Well, on most box calls, the bottom of the call, the the base part of it won't affect the sounds of the sides very much because it's, you know, below the, the area of the sound, the sideboards. Okay. But if you take a call like my my box calls are called, uh, my design is what I call step side. Mm-hmm. And so what, what appears to be the, a base on my call actually extends up a quarter inch on the sides of the soundboard. So typically, okay. most box calls, they try to get the soundboards really thin all the way down to the bottom of it. 
a uniform thickness, usually under three sixteenths of an inch. With my call, the top two thirds of the soundboards are your typical three sixteenths or less, but the bottom third of that soundboard is actually over a quarter inch thick. So it's kind of adverse to the way most people have always thought about the soundboards and and how thin they needed to be. Basically, the the top half of the soundboard should be thin. The bottom half of it can actually be quite thick. Okay. But you get it. You have to get it. You have to get it down thin enough to where it will start vibrating. As you're tuning a call, when you start tuning it, you're you run it and the the call be higher pitched and it, and the breakover doesn't break over real nice and sharp. So I scrape the inside of it with my old timer pocket knife a little bit at a time and then I, and I run it. And when you get it thin enough, then the sides really start coming to life. Basically, they're vibrating more, and all of a sudden now you're getting a beautiful breakover in it, and the yelp really comes to life. Yeah. The thinner you get it. That's why the checkering or the grooves like ML Lynch used on his calls, they're basically put on there to lighten the sides up, thin them down a bit so you can get that vibration out of them. Okay. So that's pretty interesting. So you start working on that call with your pocket knife just to kind of get the thickness right and then fine yeah, tune get, it from there. I work the insides of the call with a chisel. I, I drill the inside out, and then I work the sides down with a hand chisel to get them about 85 or 90% complete. And then I use a pocket knife from that point on just to scrape the insides a little bit at a time, carve the corners out a little bit, and uh, basically just re- removing wood from the inside of the call until you get the sound to where it, uh, you know, the breakover and yelp are right, the, the pitch and what we call the yelk has to be just right. When I when I tune a long box or a short box, I want to I want to hear that call when I run it real slow. I want to hear it go yelk yelk. All right. And then when it'll when I've got a nice yelp to it like that, when I run a yelp at a normal speed, it's going to break over and and have just the right amount of rest to it. That is too cool. I mean, the craftsmanship that goes into these calls for, from call makers like yourself who hand make these calls is incredible. Anyway, but I mean that I, I just never thought that someone would work on a call with a pocket knife <laughs> to a certain yeah. point but that's that's awesome i mean you're you're working on it you know to that i guess really to such fine detail with a knife that i just never you know that never would have crossed my mind with you shaving the wood back like like that because you're just shaving it a little bit at a time when i say the true in building a box call is knowing how to tune it and that's where I think that's where you separate your levels of craftsmanship among call makers. Is anybody can build a call. Anybody can can learn the skills to build a, a box call that physically looks like a turkey call. But the true art is knowing how to make those two pieces of wood vibrate together and get the perfect sound out of it. And that really is with a box call. You you really have to tune it. I've never built a call that. You know, I hewed it out with my chisels and everything and set it down and put a lid on it, and it was it was perfect and ready to go. Right. Every one take, we're sitting around tuning them, running them, tuning them a little bit, uh, let them sit a few days. As you remove wood from a turkey call, that the rest of the wood that's still there goes through changes, you know, with uh, atmospheric pressure, temperature, humidity in the air. So every time you take some wood out, you're making a change in that call. And I like to let it sit for a couple of days before I get back to it, and, you know, do anything else with it. And generally, it might take 30 days before I'm done tuning the call. Wow. I like after 30 days of having it hewed out, I feel pretty comfortable that there's not going to be any more changes go on with it. And the sound that, that it has now is what it's going to maintain. Yeah, that is too cool. That's a, that's a lot of time. So you have a lot of calls sitting around that you kind of work through the process at the same time, little by little, don't you? Uh, 
Um, I don't really do it like that. I build just a few calls. All my calls are built to order. So I don't, uh, I never build up an inventory or a stock of calls. I just usually, I might build as many as four at one time so that I have, you know, a few that I can go back and forth with as I'm tuning and, and finishing them. But I, I never do anything in, on a large scale. Everything's just small scale and yeah, built to order. All right. Good deal. So I want to come back to the tuning of the box call in just a second, but let's talk about the depth of the box. How does the depth and really the width as well, how does that affect the sound? What What's the difference in a more narrow width and a wider width? And what's the difference in a shorter depth and a deeper depth? Well, uh, the width very critical. Uh, what you'll find is, is a box call that's made a little wider is going to be uh, more hollow sounding. It's going to have a deeper yelp to it. Okay. So if you want to build a box call to, to duplicate gobbler sounds, then you would go with a little wider, maybe like an, an inch and three eighths from one soundboard to the other, mm-hmm. and you would get a deeper sound. Most turkey calls are built to you know try to duplicate hen talk. So a turkey call, your your average box call, short box is going to be about one and a quarter inches from one soundboard to the other. And typically they're built on a five and a half to a seven degree side angle. Neil Kost preferred the five and a half degree angle, and that's what a lot of fellows work with nowadays. And you end up with a turkey call that has a nice high-pitched front end, but yet you can still get a nice back end and a nice gobble out of it too. The wider you go, the the more hollow it sounds and the deeper it gets. So okay. you kind of get away from hen sounds if you get too much wider than about an inch and a quarter at the top. And then as far as depth, the depth gives you, the, changes the amount of yawk that you get out of a call. So if you've got a shallow call, you're only going to get, you're going to get more of a yip-yip sound. Mm-hmm. You get a nice deeper box call. Most short boxes are about an inch and a half deep at the apex of the soundboards. That's going to give you a nice yawk yawk instead of a, the higher pitch yip-yip sound. Right. So you get a lot more, uh, when you've got the proper depth, which is about an inch and a half internal on a short box call, then uh, you get that nice complete rollover with your yelp. A shorter, shallower call, you don't, you don't, you can't get as much of a rollover to the break. Okay. So it's very critical. There's, uh, there's certain dimensions that work perfect in box calls, and there's certain that, uh, dimensions that absolutely won't work. So uh, most modern call makers have come to realize there's, you got to stick within a, you know, you got to follow a certain recipe to get the cake to come out right. Right. And everybody's got a little different way of getting there, but we're all basically going for, you know, a similar, similar dimensions. Yeah, that's, that's pretty neat. And I never thought about the the width of the call making that difference. But now that, that you say that and I think about my arsenal of box calls that I have, those high-pitched calls that I have are more narrow boxes. And, you know, those are the ones that I reach for when I get ready to go out west for a Miriam's or go out to the southwest for a Rio or something like that. But they I take them in the woods in Alabama and, and Eastern kind of laughs at them. But, you know, every turkey's different. So oh, yeah. it's good, good to have that mix of calls for sure. Yeah. And it's good to have a call that's pretty versatile too. Like uh, my step side long boxes, you know, it, you get three different yelps down the side of that call. You've got the, you know, because of the length of the soundboards, you can get three different yelps out of it. You get a key key, you get a gobble, you get your clucks and purrs and you can get a cluck from a Jenny or a cluck from a gobbler, hmm. depending on where you're running on the side of the call. So that that to me is critical because if you get into an area and the you know turkey wants a little different sound, well if you've just got a, a certain short box that you can only get 
one certain type of sound out of it, you're really limited. But if you pull a good long box out of your vest, it's more versatile. You can get, you can adapt your sound to your hunting situation. Right. Yeah. Talk to me a little bit about the lid on the call and the position of where that lid hits the sides, because, you know, most of the box calls out there have a screw going to hold the lid into the body and it has a spring between the lid and the body to keep that lid raised on that screw and up close near the screw head to keep it up tight there where you know you talked about tuning a call and i guess you know one way of tuning a call is being the call maker and tuning the sides to get them to the right thickness so that it plays properly but also tinkering with that lid can affect the sound and where it plays on this on the sides of the call so where is there somewhere that you kind of eyeball to look to see where a lid is hitting on that on the sides of a call and i'm making an assumption that every turkey call has the same you know arc there on the on the sides and and i know they don't but where typically with your calls do you want to see that lid hit well when a call's in a relaxed position it, it the lid should be parallel to the bottom of the call a great call maker named Albert Paul from South Carolina told me a long time ago, if that lid is not sitting level on top of that call, then you've got your dimensions wrong and you need to go back and straighten something out. So you'll see some guys will tune a call and the paddle will look like it's really hanging down far off the back end of it. And that all has to do with the dimensions, the geometry of that call and something not being right. The apex of that radius is not in the right place for the call to break over right. So a guy will loosen that screw up until he gets it, the paddle loose enough on the back end of that radius now it's making a little bit more sound so it's very critical where it where it hits uh, like i say if you're if you've got a short box and you're holding it in your hand that that lid should look perfectly parallel to the bottom of the cone if it's not then something's something's a little bit off on that radius my long box is the same way when you you look at my long box when it's in a relaxed position and that paddle's flat against the radius there is it's it's you know parallel to the bottom of the call Okay. All right. If it looks that way and it and it it breaks over properly, then you've got the dimensions uh, and everything's right. But that that radius, the radius of the soundboards and the radius on the underside of the call are very critical in the sound that you get out of the call. So if you don't have those dimensions just right, something something's not going to sound right. So just give you an example of this. You mentioned the screw and adjusting the screw on the lid. The step side long box that I won the Grand Nationals with this year was actually my second choice for an entry. But oh, really? the day before the contest, less than 24 hours before I entered it in the contest, I turned the screw one-eighth of an inch or one-eighth of a turn, I'm sorry, tighter, drawing the front of the lid down just a little bit. And that one-eighth of a turn in that screw turned what wouldn't have entered in the contest into the Grand National Call of the Year. Wow. So absolutely. Where that screw is at is very critical in the way that the lid sits on the body. Everything is very critical to the sounds you get out of it. Jet just goes to show you an eighth, eighth of a turn made a call go from a, just a great hunting call to a championship winning call. That's crazy. Yeah. I've got a call that I bought years ago when I first started getting into turkey hunting that it, you know, and you have to remember I'm a beginner at this point in time, but it just didn't sound that great to me. You know, a lot of them sound really good in the store. And then when you get them home or you get them to the woods and use them, they just don't sound good. And I'd never have been able to get a turkey to gobble with that call. And I started tinkering with the, the tightness of the screw and playing that call on different parts of the radius of the sides. And I, I really think I've just screwed it all up. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
I think it was, you know, when you have a man who makes calls for a living <laughs> and you're a beginner turkey hunter, don't mess with the call. <laughs> Play it like the yeah. man made it. <laughs> well, and you know, in your defense, sometimes uh, a boss call can change even from one season to the next. And I, I don't hesitate to make a little adjustment if I feel it needs it. You know, yeah. things change, wood, wood changes with time. So every now and then you got to go in and take a Scott Sprite pad and remove that chalk off the paddle, get it down to a clean, clean paddle and rechalk it. Make sure your screw's in the right position. Yeah. Well, and that's you, one. You got to tune up a box call every season, I think. Well, uh, you're, you're right. And I would say it's much easier for someone of your caliber and experience level with box calls to do than it is for even the average hunter to do with a box call. So with that being said, tell me a little bit about how we do need to care for a box call as far as taking that chalk off of the lid and and not messing it up. So I know there's a right way to do that and a wrong way to do that. Can you kind of help us out with that? Sure. The best thing to do is just take paper towel and wipe that chalk off there. And I wipe it off the soundboards as well as off the bottom of the paddle. And if there's still some residue on there, you can take a green or red Scotch-Brite pad and just lightly rub that stuff off. It's not going to change the texture of the lid underneath enough to give you any kind of problem. Might even smooth it out. I actually sand my lids and soundboards down with 320 grit, so I like them really smooth before you put chalk on. So taking a paper towel and wiping it off is not going to cause a bit of a problem and reapply chalk. At least do that at the beginning of each season because chalk gets gummy and it's not going to sound the same year after year. You got to do a little bit of maintenance to it. The last thing I would suggest is is turning the screw on it unless you really know what you're doing. If you know how to get the sound, adjust that sound by changing the screw. Otherwise, I would try to leave that part alone and just worry more about keeping that call, the underside of the paddle cleaned up, fresh chalk, and the same with the soundboards. If you feel like you need to dress them up, you've got them a little, they got a little moist or something like that, then I would usually take a piece of maybe 220 grit and lightly rub it across the tops of the soundboards. Not enough to remove any wood, but just enough to remove any any raised grain from it. And the same with the underside of the paddle. Use a 220 grit on there if you need to, you got any spots that need to get dressed up. And then wipe it down with a paper towel, apply some fresh chalk. And I prefer to use a brand of chalk called Rain Chalk. I don't know much about it other than it's it's designed to work under moist conditions, but it really seems to work well on a box call, and it, it, it holds on well and performs whether it's dry or damp. It, it always works pretty good. Okay. Do you get that at a certain place, or is it something we should be able to find online pretty easily? Yeah, you can Google rain chalk. There's lots of people that sell it. First place I would comes to mind is Midwest Turkey Call Supply. Hmm. Yeah. They, they sell about everything turkey-related, and they, they carry the rain chalk. Okay. All right. That rain chalk. It's pretty amazing. You can you can take rain chalk and put it on a glass pot call on this on the part of the surface that's not conditioned, just perfectly smooth and shiny. Uh-huh. Put a little bit of rain chalk on that glass surface, and now you can run a, a peg over top of it on that pot, and it will it'll run just like you sanded the surface of that call. No joke. Yeah, that, that was kind of what sold me on it first time I was demonstrated to me, but it works really good on my bot call, so I I like to use it a lot. Yeah, that's pretty cool. So I want to talk to you a little little bit about one piece calls because you know I see some calls that are made that are put together and the body is not just one single piece of wood. What, if anything, do you think is the advantage of, of a one piece call? And that's all you make, isn't it? I actually do 
one piece and the laminated style, a mint style call. Okay. I don't do a lot of those anymore, but I've in the past I've done hundreds and hundreds of them. Typically, if you've got a one piece call is, is what we'll call a hewn out call, meaning that you took a solid block of wood, you drilled out the center of it, and used chisels and a pocket knife to come to the end result and have that inside of that hollowed out and it's all out of one solid piece of wood so the integrity of that wood is really nice and solid because it's all uniform it's nothing's been glued together the vibrations from that wood can travel through the whole body of it laminated calls that are glued together you can make some fantastic sound of laminated calls all the lynch style calls are made that way but the only disadvantage, you, you do, whenever you glue pieces of wood together, you get an area in the construction of that call that doesn't transfer the vibrations the same anymore because you, the grain is not uniform. It, it's not, it wasn't born together, it was right. glued together. So that barrier where you glue the woods together stops some of the vibration. And with that style of call, the inside of it is going to be 100% squared out. So when you look down the corners, they're nice and square. You've got more more body inside the call, more volume inside. So you get more of a, uh, a lower end, old hen kind of sound mm-hmm. out of a call like that, where a, a hewn out call, typically the ends aren't near as tight. They're not as squared out. And you get more of a higher pitched, younger hen sound out of the call. I prefer a hewn out body. To me, there's something, I think you put a little bit of yourself as a craftsman into that call when you hew the inside of it out, and then you're you're doing all the tuning like I described before by removing wood with a chisel and a pocket knife till you've got your sound just right. On a call that's glued together, you're, you're already dealing with woods that are at their minimum thicknesses, and there's nothing to tune once you get done. You just, the only tuning is, is having the right radius on your lid and your soundboard. So there's no removing wood to get the sound you know, you you basically, you have the sound that you build into it. Yeah. A hewn out one piece call, you're going to remove wood until you reach the sound that you're looking for. So to me, you get a better sound that way because you're you're tuning it up to the point that it's, it's perfect. With a salt and glued laminated type of call, you put it together and you basically have whatever it is. Okay. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. It makes perfectly Not good sense. Not really you can manipulate, you know, by removing wood on that type of call. Okay. To achieve just the, just the perfect sound. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Very good. Typically, a laminated glued together calls are production calls. They're the you know type of calls you're going to find in the store for twenty five or thirty five dollars. That a company builds several hundred of them a day. Your hewn out calls are going to be coming from your handmade craftsman that's building you know one or two calls at a time. Right. Okay. So I know you've got some calls there. I can hear a couple of them here. Yeah, and they're there. trying to talk. Yeah, they they want to talk. I I want to hear them talk. I would say a good turkey call will try to talk all on its own. You put one on the front seat of your truck and dive down the road, and it's it's trying to talk to you. All right. So tell, grab grab one and run some yelps, run some clucks, and give us a key key on one. Uh, you know, on the same call, and then tell us what it is that you're running, what what body, what the body is, what the lid is, and what style it is as well. All right. What is? I grab my favorite right off the top. That's going to be one of my step side long boxes. Like I say, it's the most versatile call. Um, one I always have in my vest, whether it's fall hunting or spring hunting, always going to have a long box in my vest. The one I've got here today is butternut with a snake wood lid. Okay. And so I like them because you can, yeah, you know, they're, they're versatile. You got a nice key key up front. I'm going to step away from the phone a little bit because I don't want to sure. blow your eardrums down. Yeah. You get a 
beautiful kiki out of them. Yeah. Say I can, depending on where you run the call on the side, you can get three different yelps out of it. But I'll just run a typical hen yelp like I'm in the woods spring turkey hunting. And a long box, great for cutting, cackling. And then, like I say, you can get clucks, get a young hen cluck, get an old gobbler cluck. Those are killer calls, especially in the fall if you're hunting an old gobbler. Just one or two old gobbler clucks like that. Generally, that's all you need. Yeah. So that's my favorite. You'll never find me in the woods without a, a long box. Like I say, that was butternut with a snake wood lid. Okay. And I've got a black limba and persimmon short box here. Short box, you won't get those kikis on the front, but you get nice, beautiful yelp. Wow. <laughs> got to have a gobble in the back end of the call. Long box has got a good gobble, too. Back in the old days, salt and glue calls, they couldn't achieve a gobble out of them. Really hard to get any kind of a gobble. And you probably remember the old bench calls that had the rubber bands on them. Yeah. And uh, we were supposed to shake that call and get the, the lid to come across and sound like a gobble. And never failed. If you heard somebody doing that in the woods, you knew they had an old lynch call and they were trying to gobble them. Mm-hmm. You just couldn't really achieve a good gobble. But, you know, today's calls, the Neil Call style stuff and the, the step side stuff like I build, we've learned to put good gobbles on the back end of every call. And it's not a call you're going to use a ton in the woods, but when you need it, you want to throw a little challenge out there. It's nice to be able to just do it on your box call and not have to pull out some kind of a special call, you know, uh, made right. just for gobbling. Just grab a box call. Yeah, a a good box makes a great gobble. You're right. And and the bad ones, I can't say the bad calls, but there are some calls that don't make really good gobbles. Yeah, and when I judge a call, you know, you look at a, a turkey call, it, it, every turkey call should yelp, cluck, and perp. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the three most important calls. That's the, the most important calls you're going to use to kill turkey, yelp, cluck, and perp. So every call should be able to do that. But I'll score a call a little higher if it can also do other stuff like kiki or gobble. So, you know, if it's a if it's a good pot call, using a, a really nice pot call and it yelps, cluck, purrs, beautiful. Well, if it'll kiki also, well, that, that scores it higher, in my opinion, mm-hmm. over a call. Really. So yeah. a good box call is the same way. If it'll yelp, cluck, and purr, that's super because that's what I'm going to kill turkeys with. But if I can get on that back end when I feel like it... Throw a gobble out there that you know could be a could be the game changer on a tough spring turkey hunt. Absolutely, I have killed a bunch of birds doing that over the years, and it's something that I do a fair amount. Especially you know if there's a day when I'm walking through the woods running and gunning and can't get anything to happen before I leave an area, I'll gobble. And I have a lot of times had a turkey gobble back at me that just absolutely would not gobble at anything else. So. Yeah, you never know. It's nice to have that in your arsenal. You can just 
you know. It definitely Come is. To the back end of that call, put a gobble out. You don't have to carry a special call just for that. You know, they make the Hank tube call just for gobbling and flex tones that one just for gobbling. With I carry enough stuff with me in the woods already. I don't need any extra calls if I can get it done on, you know, just a really good, versatile box call. Absolutely. Yeah, that's awesome. I appreciate you running some of those for us. And, you know, I think that it's pretty easy to hear the difference between the styles of those calls, you know, just as far as the pitch and, and tone in them. So that's, you know, for the beginners out there, I think that that's something that they need to hear in those calls and be able to know that when they're looking at calls that pretty much every one of them is going to sound different. So play them and run those calls and see what you like, see what sounds best to you. Play them before you buy them, if you can. Mm-hmm. Always ask the, always ask the call maker if there's any suggestions on how to run a call. You know, one of the key things to building a good call is building a call that anybody can run it proficiently as well as you can. In the contest, the contests are designed to bring out turkey calls ease of use. And we always acknowledge that the call maker is going to be able to run his call very well. But the true judge of a good turkey call is a call that anybody can pick up and run really, really well. So a user-friendly turkey call is definitely at the top of the list. Yeah. And that it, it really pays to be able to run through a few. And sometimes you might run through 20 calls a guy's got sitting on his table before you find the one that really suits your ear. So if you have the opportunity to run through a few, and ask the call maker any suggestions on running them. You know, just make you a better turkey call. Absolutely. Yeah. And well, don't forget the, the little brother of the box call, the scratch box. That's one of my most popular sellers and uh, one of the calls that I won in Grand Nationals with this year. Uh, scratch box is a really, really good sounding little call that although it's not a hinged lid type of call, it's still generally a wooden box call. And you you, know, you run it over the striker instead of running the striker over the body. Mm-hmm. Do you have a scratch box handy? Oh, yeah. I never go in the woods without a scratch box either. To me, it's the one call that you can never overrun in the woods. And that you asked me earlier, what was the biggest mistake that young uh, new hunters tend to do? And that's to overrun a call or to call too loud. So the scratch box, they're soft enough and a really beautiful earthy tone to the front. But it's mm-hmm. soft enough down that you can't make it loud enough to really scare a turkey. And if anything, you make them curious when they hear it. That's a sound you can sit at the base of a big oak tree and run a scratch box like that nonstop, and you'll never scare a turkey away with it. And uh, they have just such an earthy, natural tone that they are pure death on spring goblins. Yeah, they sound, that call sounds awesome. Thank you. Sounds really good. So uh, if that one came out of your personal personal stash of calls, I might have to try to talk you out of it for a few dollars. <laughs> <laughs> I sell more scratches than anything, and that's that was a black walnut and tiger maple combo that's probably my most popular. And I'll be honest with you, I've got those down to where every one of them comes out sounding exactly the same. Wow, that's amazing. Well, so tell us a little bit about Shade Tree Callers and tell us how we can get in touch with you if we want to chat with you about box calls or buy a call from you. And, you know, they are what you said. They are each custom made, made to order. So when somebody gets one, it's not coming out of a cellophane package, is it? That's right. No bubble wrap or uh, no no blister packaging here. Every call, if you call and order a call from me, I'm going to build you the call that you asked for. And uh, it's going to be built for you. I'm not 
not going to take it out of a box and give you the top one out of the box. You're going to get the call that was built just for you. And a lot of times I'll actually, you get a chance to hear me play that call over the phone before I even send it out to you. Uh-huh. Easiest way to get hold of me is by telephone or text at 937-270-3299. And you can check out my website, which is shadetreecallers.webs.com. And the website is really outdated. I need to get in there and put some new pictures and update everything, especially after last month. I was fortunate enough to win Callmaker of the Year NWTF Grand National Callmaking Contest. So we've got some good news to put on there and some new calls to add to. Yeah. And and I apologize because I knew that. And even in our previous conversations, I have failed to congratulate you on that. And I apologize for that because that is a that is an extraordinary honor and something that they don't just pass out to everyone. There's a lot of good callmakers and judges who are very strict on the the criteria of the calls and the call making that has happened. And so congratulations to you. That's awesome. Thank you. It was uh, quite an experience. I achieved goals that I never thought that I could. I won Gibson Call Maker of the Year, which is for the best box call builder. Mm-hmm. And I won Jeremiah Stevens Award, which is for the best scratch box builder. And then I won first place in the scratch box, first place in trough calls, and first place in long box. And then out of all the first place winners in hunting calls, they picked one call to be call maker of the year. And they chose my stepside long box in butternut with the snakewood lid yeah. as the grand anchor call of the year. So it was uh, quite an experience. I'm very blessed to be able to do it. And uh, in the combination in the way I did it with winning two classes, three categories, and getting call maker of the year, that's pretty unique. I think only one other call maker's done that before. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm not an expert on all that, you know, as far as the history of all that, but I know that that is very unique and, and difficult to accomplish. So that that is something to hang your hat on for sure. And there's less than 20 call makers of the year ever been awarded, so it's a pretty elite group of call makers and one I'm certainly honored to be part of. Yeah, very good. Very good. Bob, I've taken up a lot of your time today and I do appreciate you taking time to educate us on box calls. I had one other question for you and that was to get you to tell us a story of your most recent successful turkey hunt and one or two things that made that hunt a success. Do you have a couple of minutes to do that for us, to answer that for us? Sure. Okay. Yeah, so uh, my most recent turkey hunt, you want me to just get started right into it? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Well, it, it was a fall hunt because I, I hunt both seasons, spring and fall. Okay. And it was a fall Ohio hunt. And uh, it was one of those mornings when I actually went out. It was my fourth time of calling in the same flock of turkeys. I called them in wow. not for consecutive days, but over a two-week period, I called that same flock in four times and had killing opportunities every time. We only get one fall tag in Ohio and I hate to use it on the first turkey that comes in front of me. Yeah. Not that I'm being picky and trying to get a bigger bird or, you know, anything like that. I just don't want the experience to end. That's right. Too fast. So this is the fourth time calling this flock in, and uh, I was hunting them with my compound bow because I also hunt deer at the same time during the fall season. So what I'll do, I'll hunt deer in the tree stand, you know, for a couple hours in the morning, and I get down and pull the turkey call out, and I go after turkeys. Mm-hmm. So on that particular morning, I called the flock back up, and uh, I had probably 15 of them at 15 yards bunched up together so tight I couldn't pick one of them out. Finally, I gave out a little key 
tiki on a mouth call that I had tucked away in my mouth, and they separated just enough, and I shot a beautiful big boss hen, almost 18-pound bird, which is really big for a hen bird in Ohio. Yeah, that is huge. And, and then I, I just put the bow down beside me, and I picked up my long box between my knees, and I let out a couple clucks, and I called the whole flock right back in. Now they're walking by at five and six feet away from me while I'm sitting on my knees with the bow beside me and a dead turkey at 15 steps. So it was a pretty exciting hunt. That's I had awesome. a lot of lot of opportunities with turkeys this past fall, but I say that was that was when I drug it out into four hunts, made it last as long as I possibly could. Yeah, yeah, I can definitely understand that. What do you think it was that really kind of turned that hunt around? What is it that you did or that happened that kind of turned that hunt around to make it successful for you? Well. I actually, uh, when I set up on these birds, I knew the area they would be in. Hadn't heard any or seen any. I just got myself into the right position. I always say you need to put yourself where a turkey wants to be. That's your exactly. A number one thing to do. Yeah. And I pulled, I pulled out my long box, and my bow was sitting on the ground beside me. I pulled my long box out, and I let out two clucks on the long box, and the whole flock instantly reacted back, and it, they were all talking back at me. It took them less than 20 seconds to, from those two clucks for them to all be in front of me at 15 yards. <laughs> My most important thing was uh, woodsmanship. That's that's the most important skill you can have as a turkey hunter. Yeah. So I worked into the area where I knew turkeys wanted to be, and then I let out two clucks on a long box, and they were, you know, I didn't jump in with a, any loud raucous calling, just two clucks, normal volume, and instantly the whole flock came to me. So woodsmanship and soft calling, and of course a shade tree caller step side long box, I think were the, the keys to that hunt. Awesome. I love hearing turkey hunting stories, and one of your keys to success on that hunt is a common thing that, that we hear in these stories, and that's woodsmanship. And, you know, I think that we can't know enough about it that there's always something that we can learn about it to help us when we're hunting and it's not just for turkeys but it's for anything and everything squirrels or quail or whatever it happens to be so that's right that's your most important skill as a hunter is is your woodsmanship you should be able to have the skills to go out and and harvest an animal without the aid of calls you know Um, very true just knowing where to be how to get yourself there how to be quiet stumpy as we like to call it you know that's that's the whole key if you can you should be able to kill animals without the aid of the calls not that there's anything wrong with using the call just say if your woodsmanship skills are high enough you should be able to kill animals just by knowing where they like to be being able to track them knowing their habits and habitats yeah very good a lot of great information from you bob i'm i'm very appreciative and i would suggest if any of you guys are looking for calls to give bob a call typically how long does it take if i were to order a call from you today how long would it be before you would have that call ready and, and sent to me? Well, I, I'm not the fastest call maker in the world, and I do have a little bit of a list. Depending on what type of call you order from me, so I do I do build several different kinds. Uh, the wait could be as long as two years. Okay. So calling. I always tell everybody two years, and if it, if you get it sooner, then we're just ahead of track. And uh, But it typically it's going to take a while. Yeah. Because they, they are, are hand-built individually for each, each person. So Very good. Call Bob today because I'm about to get my order in before I hang up with him. So (laughs) you need to get your order in before the next guy does. I'm ahead of you, so order your call from Bob today. Thank you very much again. I I do want to order a scratch box from you. So hang in there with me for a couple of minutes. We'll go ahead and say goodbye on the recording now, and I'll chat with you here in just a second. So thanks again. All right. Thanks for having me on today. Good luck to everybody this spring. Good hunting. Thank you. Goodbye. Holy cow. 
I learned a ton from that interview, and I hope that you did too. Bob, if you're listening, thank you again for sharing your knowledge and passion with us. I am stoked about my Scratchbox call that I've ordered. Do those little calls sound great or what? Okay, so believe it or not, I know when I'm out of my realm of expertise and when I need to shut up. Bob has taught me more about box calls today than I ever thought I would know, and we've only scratched the surface of these cool little musical instruments. I am out of my realm of expertise, and I am shutting up, except for these two final things, my two favors for this week. First, if you need or want a custom call made by an award-winning turkey call maker, call Bob Fulcher and order a call from him. When you do, tell him that you heard about him on the show, please. I want to urge you to support the people who support you on this show by increasing your knowledge of the sport. Second, if you learned something today, then please share this episode with one or two of your hunting buddies by clicking the share button on your podcast player on your phone or tablet and texting the link to this episode to them. I seriously doubt that they will hate you because of it. All right, I'm going back to the woods. That's all for this week. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. I know that you have choices. I appreciate you spending your time with us. I hope you have a wonderful week, and I look forward to seeing you again next week. Goodbye. Thanks for tuning in. You were just listening to the Turkey Hunter podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please go on over to iTunes and leave a five-star review. And make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe for free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, and product reviews to help you have a more successful turkey season. And stay tuned for upcoming episodes on hunting afternoon birds, how to film your hunt, and the breeding cycle of hens, as well as some guest interviews. Thanks again for listening. We know your time is valuable, and we appreciate you sharing some of it with us. See you next week.